So today we are sitting down, we have the pleasure to be sitting down with independent journalist uh, and host of the pushback at the Gray Zone News, Aaron Mate. Uh, as part of our, I guess at this point, 17-part series regarding Russiagate, you know, Russiagate coverage and coverage of Russiagate coverage. I'll have to defer to you two, both John and Aaron, about the sort of the details and nuances of the Russiagate story because, you know, I considered myself to be an everyman, a layperson, if you will. And so I <laughs> gave up on it quite early. I gave up on it quite early on as it proved to be both confusing and uninteresting. Um, but... I, I, under, I understand that there have been recent revelations that sort of paint a new light over the entirety of the case, which is why we're here today. So we would, I mean, I want to, John, is that correct? Aaron, that, you know, that is correct. But there's like, there's something that I, I, you know, I haven't told our listeners and I haven't really talked about, but I took a hiatus from both Twitter and the show for about two years because of Russiagate. Um, I, I saw in my tech background, I, I know, and I've talked to multiple people about attribution, about like all of the things that's come around and swirl around this whole Rushgate fiasco when it comes down to tech. And everyone was pretty much universally agreed that this whole thing was almost bullshit. And for me, it was driving me insane because no one was actually talking about any of that. Like all of a sudden we had this whole culture on the, on the arguable left of America that was saying, yeah, let's believe the CIA, the NSA, the FBI, and all these alphabet soup agencies that we've for generations have not because, you know, they're actively involved in assassinating leftist members on home turf. So I left Twitter and one of the only things that really got me through this process was actually Aaron's reporting, both in um, the Real News Network, especially the interview with Luke Harding, and then also um, his work at The Nation. So I just wanted to say right off the bat, thank you, Aaron. Well, thanks. I, I, I really appreciate and how about you? Did you uh, did you find this whole process difficult? Like I, I know you've talked about it, but have you lost friends or, or people in journalism or, or lost any type of status as a direct result of what you've been doing? Uh, I have lost a couple of friends and some and some you know friendly professional ties, um, and uh, you know that's unfortunate. But look, the whole thing was just such a scam with such obvious motives from the start. It was even before the election, it was clear that the Hillary campaign was trying to paint this false portrayal of Trump as being a Putin ally. And the only thing they could really go on was the fact that Putin, that Trump was refusing to go along with what was this fashionable trend of just condemning Putin and seeing him as the evil of the world. And for the crime of basically saying that, you know, we should get along with Russia, there was this whole effort to try to tie him to Russia uh, even before the election. And, of course, once the Hillary Clinton campaign lost, the utility of that red baiting was that much greater because this could then be used as an excuse for their loss. And they could try to explain away Trump's victory as the work of this dastardly evil tyrant in Russia in Russia instead of, you know, the failures of the U.S. system that they themselves are a part of and benefit from. So it was just all very convenient. It was all, and the evidence for it was always lacking on all of the core planks, the collusion allegation, the Russian hacking allegation. And later on, we got this hoopla about Russian social media ads. And if, if, when you look closely at the evidence every single time, there was a false portrayal that this was something significant because basically the people behind it, whether it was the Mueller team or it was Democratic members of Congress 
or it was hosts on MSNBC were all just ignoring all the countervailing facts that undermined the innuendo that they were putting forward. So it was just to me, journalistically, it was an easy thing to debunk, even though, you know, there were some adverse consequences, but that's fine. Uh, and politically, you know, I just thought also, like, as someone who really wants to see Trump defeated, just what a disaster it was for all the things we could oppose him on to channel his opposition into a, you know, Cold War, chauvinistic, CIA-worshipping conspiracy theory saga was just a giant gift to him, as I think has been proven time and time and again. And especially recently. I mean, hashtag Russiagate has led directly to hashtag Obamagate. And it's it's quite conceivable that Obamagate will have way more teeth than Russiagate will. Um, you know, with the whole Papadopoulos, Flynn, um, Carter Page, like trifecta of spying that the U.S. government has done on the Trump campaign, like there there actually could be some consequences. I totally agree. I've been saying for a long time that Russia Gate was going to hand Trump multiple gifts. So first there was the gift of, you know, you have this president who is overseeing the largest upward transfer of wealth in U.S. history with the t with his tax heist known as the tax cut. Uh, he is uh, attacking immigrants. He's attacking people of color. He is uh, increasing support for Saudi mass murder in Yemen. He's trying to launch a coup in Venezuela and trying to make the population there starve into submission. He's warmongering against Iran. He tore up the Iran nuclear deal, pulled out of the Paris Climate Accord. He's increasing, actually, the threat of nuclear disaster with his uh, nuclear weapons policies, including uh, pulling out of vital Cold War treaties, which, by the way, totally undermines in itself the notion of a conspiracy with Russia because all these moves he's taken are actually very hostile to Russia. But instead of focusing on any of that, what, is, like, what are people talking about on MSNBC or CNN? It's like you know Robert Mueller and Robert Mueller trying to find this hidden conspiracy. I mean, that's what his opposition was confined to for three years. I mean, I've said this often. There were bigger protests by liberals to save Jeff Sessions' job than there were to save the Iran nuclear deal or to save a fair tax code, you know, which is just like ridiculous. But that's what the impact of this was. So you have that gift of while this is all going on, distracting Trump's and, and opposition. Let's also be clear, then that's a gift to the center Democratic Party as well until election time. It is a gift to them because it, it allows them to basically avoid a reckoning with their failure in 2016. Uh, which is what should have happened after losing. I mean, when you lose, you do some self-reflection and you even do some transformation if that's what is required. And the lesson of 2016 was obviously that, you know, even a con man billionaire can pose as a working class champion and just say a couple of anti-establishment things and discontent with the system is so high that that's enough to to win. And so the obvious lesson there for Democrats is that in order to win, they should adopt a genuine, not a fake like Trump, anti-establishment agenda. And, you know, Bernie Sanders and his ascending movement already rep already represented that. So blaming everything on Russia and pinning hope that Robert Mueller was going to bring Trump down and reverse his victory. That was a way for the center right Democrats, as embodied by Hillary Clinton's campaign, to avoid uh, anything that could threaten their own power. So it was a gift to them and it helped, you know, undermine Bernie. And we can talk about how Bernie himself played a role in that by going along with it. But um, then you have the gift of, so you have that gift while to Trump, uh, while all this is happening. Then you have the gift of giving him exoneration when Mueller ends his 
probe and he comes up with nothing. And then you have another gift now where, you know, now the investigators are being investigated. And given how from the start there was a lot of shady things going on, it was obvious that they were going to turn up, you know, malfeasance on the part of the intelligence officials who who gave us this whole thing. And that's what Trump is now using to help his reelection campaign and to distract from his awful handling of the pandemic. It's like it's a gift to Trump in, in multiple stages. So before we, so I agree, especially with the uh, idea of the underlying causes, or at least why the narrative was started and, you know, why it took root in a lot of liberals' heads. But before we get too far into, like, the broader implications and underlying mentality there, I did want to address, because, again, I'm kind of a neophyte on this issue, like, what exactly the new revelation was and whether or not you think that it's going to be the nail in the coffin of the Russiagate narrative or because of just how deeply ingrained it's become in the political media, you you know, landscape and how deeply it's become part of like the resistance liberals uh, opposition to Trump, whether or not it's just not going to make any difference, if that makes any yeah, sense. Yeah, no, I, I think it's fair to expect that it won't make any difference because from the start, the facts have never made a dent in the prevailing narrative uh, that has dominated resistance, media and, and politics, except I think when Mueller ended his probe and he had nothing there was there was a lot of attempts to try to make it seem as if he had found something and all this convoluted debate about obstruction and whether he was really whether there was a case against Trump on obstruction, even though Mueller basically punted on that. But um, I think that that then knocked it down a peg. But there still is just such, you know, obedience when it comes to how the media reports on this, that they really try to there's it's hard to acknowledge that this that the case for a, a Russia Trump conspiracy was just completely baseless there was nothing there and that has not been acknowledged yet i don't expect it to be acknowledged and look and and so one of look one of the main revelations comes on the issue of russian of whether russia hacked the dnc where you have uh crowdstrike the dnc contractor that first accused russia of hacking basically set this whole thing off in june 2016 when they accused russia of hacking the dnc server crowdstrike the president sean henry he testimony of his was recently released and it wasn't recent testimony it was given in december 2017 but we just got it now and it's amazing uh he's asked you know so after you looked into the dnc server can you tell us what date the russians exfiltrated the emails that are at the heart of this entire russiagate thing because that's what this whole thing is based on this idea that Russia stole Democratic Party emails to hurt Hillary Clinton and elect Trump and Trump possibly colluded with that. And Sean Henry says, well, actually, we don't have any evidence at all that anything was exfiltrated. So it's just it's an extraordinary admission because basically the the source that generated the allegation at the heart of this whole thing that Russia hacked the DNC can't even identify when or even whether these alleged Russian hackers even took anything from the DNC server. And what's ama- and of course, that revelation has gotten no corporate media coverage whatsoever, zilch, except for on Fox News where it's, you know, has partisan utility. Yeah. But except from that, nothing. It just it doesn't make a blip. But yet for three years, all we heard about constantly was Russia hacking the DNC, trying to destroy American democracy. And anybody who questioned that. Uh, that that uh, that undisputed truth was a Russian agent or a Putin, you know, a Putin apologist or spreading disinformation. But now you have this 
you have the generator of the allegation admitting there's a giant gap in the evidence and nothing. So it's just it's it's a window into how just obedient mass media has been in pursuing this narrative. And that's that's putting aside the question of okay, like even if Russia did steal the emails, is it worth all the attention that it's gotten? And it's so hilarious to see this alleged email hacking treated as like an attack on the country. Like that's what Democrats describe it as. You know, it's a you know, if you watch Rachel Maddow, it's constantly Russia attacked our democracy, Russia attacked our election. And, you know, it's like imagine if all the US did around the world was just stealing people's emails. It'd be a wonderful world, you know? Instead the instead the US, you know, uh sanctions countries that don't uh, obey uh, cuts people off from food and medicine, pours hundreds of millions of dollars into, into proxy wars that destroy countries, invades countries with regime change, you know, funds opposition groups with tens of millions of dollars and floods the country with propaganda. You know, it's, it'd be amazing if the U.S. did to around the world what Russia is accused of doing to us. And now we're even learning that what Russia is accused of doing, that, that, that there's a huge evidentiary gap there. So. That's to me is the most critical revelation. And then you have other stuff. You have stuff in the Michael Flynn case where, you know, he was forced out because he apparently lied about his conversations with the Russian ambassador before uh, Trump took office after the election. And then we learned all this stuff, including that, you know, the FBI had investigated him for collusion based on nothing and, uh, you know, appropriately turned up nothing. And they're about to close the case when some FBI agents basically intervened to keep it open and essentially tried to set him up with with a perjury trap. And, uh, you know, um, and there's even some notes that they took where they pretty much acknowledge that they that they're they're doing that. So there was like this there was, you know, some subterfuge and there was some people inside the national security state who wanted to undermine the Trump campaign for their own reasons, not because they're woke. Uh, but I think because they had some personal beef with Flynn, they didn't like Trump talking about cooperating with Russia, and they didn't like, I think, the fact that Trump's message on the campaign trail, even though it was completely disingenuous because Trump in office has effectively been a neocon, but on the campaign trail, Trump was posing and pretending that he wasn't a neocon and that he was going to scale back regime change wars and he was going to end things like, you know, you know, uh, invasions like in bombing campaigns in Libya and proxy wars in Syria. And I think not just the fact that Trump was saying that, but the appeal that that message had to the population or at least to a considerable amount of the of the voting population, I think unnerved people inside the national security state. And one way to undermine that was to tie up Trump with this Russia thing and to sort of paint him as an agent of Russia, which could then delegitimize the anti-interventionist message that he was putting out, which, again, I want to stress, was not, I think, sincere. I just think Trump recognized something out there that people were tired of sending their kids off to war and wanted money and wanted money spent at home. And Trump is a good con man. Right. I mean, the, the biggest so applause line during any that. Republican debate was when he criticized George W. Bush to get a jet where he was talking about how George lied us into Iraq. And like the crowd went nuts. The crowd loved it. And I don't think any Republican strategist was expecting that. Um, so the, the one thing I, I find interesting is like we've covered a, a lot of this stuff, but on this podcast, like 
two or three years ago, we did a great interview with Yasha Levine, where we talked for about three hours about the attribution. And you mentioned um, Henry. Uh, Henry is a particularly interesting guy because he has ties not only to um, the FBI, especially under Mueller, I believe, but also because he has ties to money to the F to Google. And also the, his partner, Aleprovich, uh, in starting CrowdStrike, has ties to the NATO as well as the Atlantic Council. And um, his, his a, a, an extreme anti-Russian person himself. Um, so, but to get to some of the stuff that Henry said, like he, he mentioned something about how if Russia was in there, one of the ways they could have exfiltrated the data was through screenshots. And, you know, the data itself doesn't back that up because... There were multiple attachments and there was verification processes gone through for certain emails um, that show there were emails and you can't get that through a screenshot. So even that's bumped out, you know, and it, it nobody it, it seems to me throughout most of this questioning that was done. And I read some of the transcripts. Nobody with a tech background was actually questioning this guy, Henry. They were asking very politically loaded questions, but they weren't asking the relevant tech questions. And, you know, it's kind of like how the 2017 ODNI report from the, the uh, ICA, like, didn't have anything technical. And, like, half of it was about um, Abby Martin, you know. So, like, all of this leading up to it, like you said, none of it was ever substantiated. And when you started to dig down into it, which you did repeatedly, th it, it all evaporated. And so let, let's specifically talk about Henry CrowdStrike and um, what his ties are to the already established security state. Look, just the fact that the FBI and the intelligence community were relying on a private company that was contracted by the DNC, which has a huge partisan motive in this. And by the way, through Michael Sussman, a Perkins Coy attorney, who, by the way, who was also involved in hiring Fusion GPS, which generated the collusion allegation, you know, because Fusion GPS uh, used hired Christopher Steele, who made the Steele dossier. So at the heart of this multi-year scandal, quote unquote, you have a huge partisan conflict of interest on the two core elements. You have Fusion GPS, a DNC contractor, generating the collusion allegation. And you have uh, CrowdStrike, a DNC contractor, generating the Russian hacking allegation. So that right there is just a massive partisan conflict of interest. But, it, it, you know, that wasn't questioned. It was just everything was accepted as truth because I think just so much of the media establishment identifies with that wing of the Democratic Party, plus with, you know, venerating the intelligence officials that they're closely aligned with as well. So it just that right there is quite something, uh, for even putting aside the evidentiary basis. And then you have, as you say, more um, conflicts of interest where Sean Henry, a crowd strike, he was... Uh, basically a top deputy of Robert Mueller at the FBI. Uh, his, the co-founder, uh, as you say, is a fellow at the Atlantic Council, which acts as basically a lobby group effectively for, for NATO and is a, is a you know, huge critic of, of Russia and Vladimir Putin. And then you have the fact that, look, their, even their record of making attributions to Russia has had serious errors that they've had to retract. So they accused Russia of hacking into Ukrainian military hardware and damaging uh, some Ukrainian military capability. And they said that Russia had done that hack with the same kind of software that they said they found in the DNC. They had to retract that claim. 
when when it was pointed out to them that it was false it was so false because not only did they they attributed ballistics um units being destroyed by russian military as a direct result of them hacking the gps location of a targeting software that was developed by a ukrainian official and the reason they said this was because a piece of that software was found online and they said that that software was infected by x agent which was uh given to ATP 28 and 29 as the methodology by which Russia infiltrated or exfiltrated data from the DNC. Now, the, the piece of X agent that they've uploaded to the internet for review, which they did and then promptly removed, never worked, it was broken. So to say that like, okay, we, we made a mistake there is one thing, but then Ukrainian government came out and said, no, these ballistics units weren't lost. We just put, took them out of service. And then on top of that, the the guy who made the software said, I never uploaded this. I actually install it directly myself on all of the targeting machines uh, that we use. So this has never touched the Internet. Which suggests that CrowdStrike are basically scam artists because that's it's not just a mistake. It's uh, that has the markings of fraud. Um, we, right. The I reason mean, we had Yasha Levine on was because he wrote a great article in the Baffler called from Russia. What do you say? It was uh, from Russia with panic. And it was all about the, the Georgian war attribution of hacking that happened um, and blaming Russia with absolutely no evidence and how this actually tied in with that. And, and it's a really good point. So right there, just the fact that they were relied on is huge. And then, look, there, later on, um, Mueller came out with some stuff that CrowdStrike didn't have. He claimed that the hackers actually did exfiltrate uh, the data using a lease server in Illinois. But that also got, I believe, questioned as well by the by by the company that runs the server in Illinois. So it, it's complicated. So, but there is an additional evidentiary basis, be, or at least claim to have evidence beyond CrowdStrike. But the fact that CrowdStrike couldn't even see any exfiltration at all, and then this guy who the FBI is relying on, you know, as you say tries to explain that by saying that well, maybe the Russians took screenshots of every single email as they were being read by DNC employees, which is just like ludicrous technically and just like the amount of time that would take. That's like you know tens of thousands of emails. That's a lot of screenshots. And it doesn't explain the attachments. It shows no knowledge of the basic metadata that was in that was in all this stuff because it wasn't like screenshot metadata. It was, as you say, like document metadata but that's it but, but that's who we're all supposed to have relied on no i hate to jump in here uh but and especially since i just plan on dumbing down the conversation uh <laughs> but like you know we're we're operating at like a da vinci code level of, of complexity and I, and I need to i need to bring us back down to somewhere between like uh national treasure 2 and tnt's the librarian um and I think that it's important to do that too because, like, so I think the you know the timbre of the conversation is very important and very technical. And while I personally don't mind asking dumb questions or like just being completely out of the loop on this sort of thing, I think that you know part of the allure of going along with it, maybe not for people in the media, but just for your everyday average yeah. uh, liberal who's consuming this kind of information, is that it is very complex. And and like there is a definite there's a, there's a definite fear. I think maybe more acutely in like your everyday average MSNBC, you know, CNN, Washington Post, New York Times, you know, consuming liberal of appearing stupid or uninformed about something. And that is a very coercive element of why they go along with something. But to a point that Aaron made earlier that I think is worth highlighting it and one of the reasons why i kind of just never got too interested in it was like it, everything that they accused russia of doing a i mean i was forced to ask myself like 
isn't just just how elections go down in the digital age i was like yeah, i mean and, i'm not and we spied on the france election in 2014 and i'm so curious as to how many studies were done about like uh stories that were published during that election in le mans that had anonymous sources that might have been fucking cia we hacked all of those elections you're like nothing has ever been analyzed in regards to that it, what's interesting is that no matter how much we had the conversation about Russian inter- interference in democracy and the sanctity and sovereignty of our democracy, like the idea or like the impulse to put like whatever they said Russia did into conversation with just like the general, you know, geopolitical landscape of elections in, you know, 2016 and digital age, but also just like the context of like what America does overseas. And even if you don't necessarily feel as this is like, you know, I don't know what retribution for what we're doing, the idea that like it exists in some sort of separate universe and vacuum that is unable to be put into like into this sort of context right you had it felt to me like any you had to pull you know twist people's arms behind their back to get them to to admit that no matter what we accuse russia of doing america is currently doing worse has done worse in the past and plans on doing worse in the future you know there were points in time and did a lot worse to fucking russia I mean, there were points in time where we were talking about Russiagate where we were engaged in like two, we were implicated in two different coups. And like, it just felt so weird and perverse that those conversations were happening in like silos. Because if you tried to put them in conversation with one another, you kind of were kind of accused of like, well, what about it? As though America's like foot, you know, footprint on the global stage is, uh, is irrelevant to how, we're, you know, to any sort of consequences or accountability for that. If that makes any sense. No, totally. And, you know, I, I mean, First of all, it's so insulting to people around the world that the world's largest superpower, which does so much damage around the world to any government that doesn't obey and that is a you know hindrance to its hegemony, that the opposition party inside that superpower is spending three years hyperventilating about the fact that, that Russia might have stolen some emails and posted some stupid ads on social media. It's so insulting. I mean, people in Venezuela can't get food or medicine because Trump doesn't like their government because the government, you know, tries to use some of the country's resources on, you know, uh, the, like the masses of its population instead of having to go to a small elite. And, you know, no one's talking about that on MSNBC. And instead, people are hyperventilating about the fact that Russia might have taken some emails from a corrupt candidate and put them on the Internet. You know, so it's like the contempt there for the world is just staggering. It's a, and it's a window into when you're an American exceptionalist exceptionalist or a supremacist, whatever you want to call it, just how pathetic your mind gets where you actually become the victim. And um, I guess there's something you need to go through that process in order to justify your support or silence on all the other horrible things we do around the world. Because, you know, if to ignore that, you have to convince yourself that what is happening to you is somehow this grave injustice that requires all of your attention. And but it's just so insulting and it's so insulting to people in this country who you know uh have so much you know all the real problems in this country you know lack of health care low wages all the problems we have and then to have our enlightened political elites on you know and progress and progressives too uh, there was a lot of progressives that cut, got caught up in this talking about you know uh yeah cooper and clay on owe me a fucking apology Anyway, go on. Sorry. The whole thing is contemptuous, and and the idea, and the idea that like liberals are telling people that you know you didn't, you know, like like the reason we have Donald Trump is not because you made a decision on, 
on whether who are you going to vote for, whether it was voting for Trump or just staying at home. But because Russia fooled you with their uh, email hacking and sophisticated social media. So it's like like the levels of contempt for average people embedded in this thing are just so multifaceted because it's ultimately it's an elitist protection racket. It's not about protecting democracy. It's not about challenging Trump. It's simply about uh, reinforcing the system that Trump's victory basically exposed and showed to, showed to be just such a farce and showed to be in such decay that a a, a buffoon like that could could win. And, um, you know, it's 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 like it just and as you say, it's just amazing that as Trump was doing all this around the world, you know, coups in Venezuela, uh, you know, uh, regime change in Iran, that there were so many days when huge stuff that on that front was happening, but it was getting ignored because we had to talk about the latest development in Robert Mueller's probe. It's really they, they telegraphed that with their coverage of the emails themselves. I mean, embedded in the emails was a tacit understanding that we orchestrated a coup in Honduras for monetary reasons. And like that was never covered by the mainstream news. You know, like it, it's it's one of those things where it's like, oh, okay, so Donna Brazil rigged some debate questions, but we literally overthrew a government and, and got rid of a president who was doing redistributive policies because he was doing redistributive policies and nobody blinked an eye. Yeah, and uh, you know, some of the people who are venerated as heroes in this whole thing were involved in that. You know, John Brennan is now a, commentator on msnbc and like he's elevated as a leading voice of the resistance i mean he was at the cia um for you know while the cia you know he was there during the iraq war fraud uh he was there he over he oh he, he helped orchestrate the proxy war in syria where the u.s poured billions of dollars into a proxy war that ultimately enabled uh, Al-Qaeda and ISIS because the U.S. wanted to destroy the Assad government in large part because Assad was an ally to Iran. Um, and so these people are now turned into heroes. It's and they're and they're deemed as being serious experts on a story that they themselves were involved in, like Russiagate, you know. So it's like it's 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 really pushed uh, the Democratic Party even more to the right than it already was. And the saddest part, and maybe, I mean, if you guys are interested, we can discuss, was that Bernie Sanders, instead of seeing this really as not just an attack on Trump and an, a, a fake way to resist Trump, but also a, a very deliberate way to resist Democrats becoming the party of Bernie Sanders, Ber- Bernie went along with it. And at the time, I kind of was, I, I was, I was sympathetic because I thought that if he, if he pushed back too much, if he called it out, then they would make his life like the, 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 like the they did to Tulsi. Yeah, like that they would make his life even more miserable. But I'm seeing now, I think it was actually a huge mistake on his part to enable it because because they used it against him. You know, on the eve of the Nevada vote, they used it against him. Well, I mean, and, you know, I think that gets to the earlier analysis that you laid out about, you know, what, like, what was the purpose of this? You know, what, like, what was Russiagate? I mean, at the core there, you know, there is some sort of level of like, was Russia stealing emails? Was Russia, you know, listening on various politicians? Like, was Russia just like, you know, essentially doing what, (laughs) what large countries do when other large countries are engaged in the, you know, engaged in global politics have elections like keeping an eye on it in ways that range from you know indecent to decent right whatever um but like from my perspective like yeah they would it, it was essentially just a conspiracy theory you know it was a conspiracy theory that you know at the core was you know a way to shield the 
upper crust elites from any kind of material or social implications of losing to Donald Trump, of losing, you know, to the world's most, the world's least popular candidate, along with sort of the media apparatus's inability to accurately cover Trump's uh, campaign or what was going around America to see it coming, essentially, because they were so busy, you know, trying to ingratiate themselves with power. Uh, and also just like to essentially prevent any kind of real awakening of the Democratic Party to the nature of, you know, how power was functioning within their own party. And I think that's where the Democratic, the sort of the, the sabotage of Bernie Sanders fits into that narrative as well, where this whole thing seemed to be a very, a very targeted way to appeal to that, you know, mainstream liberal base voter who may or may not have been uh, receptive to a uh, message of Bernie Sanders, who may or may not have been disillusioned with the Democratic Party post losing to Trump and might have come to a real sort of understanding or moment of having to grapple with like the nature of America, the nature of like reality as it exists for most people in the world and not just reality as it exists in the op-ed section of the New York Times. And that was kind of robbed from a lot of liberals by nature of getting involved in this conspiracy theory that only served to entrench power and because that's what it was. It was like it was a conspiracy theory meant to obscure the way that power actually functions not only with the Democratic Party but within this country. And if you try to get it to do anything other than say, you know, absolve the Democratic Party and tell you that the liberal based media was uh, anything other than like propaganda, they weren't really receptive to that. If you tried to make it about global oligarchy, they weren't accept- receptive to that. If you were trying to make it about sort of the corruption of the Democratic Party, they weren't really receptive to that either. So like there was no real lane for anyone to use like Bernie Sanders to comment on anything other than like, here's why Democratic Party should not be blamed for whatever failures they right. had. And, and the thing that I found most interesting about this whole thing was like two, three years ago, it was a bunch of disparate groups who had their own interests, right? Like you, Lee Fang did a reporting about how at the, ar- the largest arms convention in the United States, military contractors were saying, hey, this might not be good for Russia, essentially. I mean, this might be not be good for America, but it's great for our business, uh, increased tensions with Russia. Then you had the neocon never Trumpers who were saying like, oh, hey, you know what? We agree we don't like Trump, this whole Russiagate thing, he's tied with Russia. And then you had the Democrats in power who were like the Hillary Clinton uh, wing of the party who were excusing their own malfeasance and their own incompetence. And and then you had the security state officials who like wanted more conflict with Russia, probably because they're all going to go retire at some of those military contractors. And now they're all wedded together within the Democratic Party. Like that's who the Democratic Party has become. And you also had like a, a sort of like core of liberals who like were also, also benefited because this was just like a narrative to stroke their egos. How many people, you know, how many sort of liberals out there who normally work at tech company jobs and read op-eds and, you know, you know read, try to understand both sides of the aisle. And, but, you know, knowingly consume NSA or deep state propaganda as laundered by the mainstream media thought they had stumbled upon some sort of international secret just with their MacBook and their master's degree in psychology. It's like it was it was a very egotistic flattering narrative that like people were unraveling a four plus decade long like international conspiracy just with like deep thought like yeah and that was the focus and you know I, I I don't have much to add because I think you guys just made so many good points but just notice how successful it was it was a really successful propaganda operation I mean because if you look back at the Democratic Party after 2016 what has it been about has there what what policy can we attach to it? What debate have we seen about, you know, uh, whether or not, like, what kind of party we should be? The only debate happened, it only ha- was allowed to happen in 2020 during the primary for a couple of months when Bernie Sanders came back and all of a sudden his agenda. But that's not enough. I mean, if you're a political party 
and you're serious about you know defeating the the right wing and and ending Trump, you have to be involved in actual policies that impact people's lives and have a real agenda. But yeah, and it wasn't just a national thing. I mean, they did the exact same thing to fucking Corbyn using Russiagate as well. Yeah, and when and when close to the election, when he when he was leaked documents showing that uh, the Tory government was negotiating with the U.S. and putting the privatization of the National Health Service on the table. Uh, the same firms, same people that were used to that have been used throughout Russiagate to blame Russia for everything, came forward. Actually, one of them was with the Atlantic Council. This guy Ben Nemo came forward to say that 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 those leaks actually came from Russian hacking, and that was used to undermine uh, the documents that Corbyn got. So you know, and we saw that with Bernie, like with Bernie, as Bernie was surging in the primary, what happened on the eve of Nevada? Well, there was this report leaked that um, that the U.S. intelligence has assessed that Russia is trying to help Bernie. And what was so pathetic is that Bernie kind of went along with it. Um, he, you know, he, he didn't say this was a scam. He just kind of put his head down and said, well, you know, I don't want Russia's help. But or he could have said, you know what, this is this is part of the same scam that neoliberals have been running for over three years to try to undermine the appeal of progressive messaging and to avoid self-reflection and looking at their own power and their own failures in 2016, which got us Trump in 2016. I mean, Bernie had a real opportunity here, but he, you know, I think, but he, he didn't take it because he didn't want to challenge the Democratic Party um, in such a stark way. And I think that was his failure. I think that uh, challenging the Democratic Party in a stark way and, and failing to do so was why he lost. It was because, because, because the Democratic populace just became acquainted with, I mean, they're loyal voters, and the head of the par- the the leaders of the party, with no challenge from within, uh, and even the cooperation of people like Bernie Sanders, were going along with RussiaGate, so they didn't know anything else, and so the the, the Democratic elite and their way of doing things stayed the norm because there was no real challenge to them, um, and instead there was just acquiescence with their main pastime of, of blaming Russia for everything. And so by the time the primary came around, you know, Bernie had a lot of, he had a lot of small donors and a lot of, you know, um, grassroots support, but it wasn't enough. Like you can't, you know, I think the lesson here is you can't just build a movement within a couple of months over, over an election primary. You have to do it over multiple years. And I think we all lost valuable time being distracted by Russiagate and by sort of excusing the people going along with the narrative of the people who lost to Trump instead of challenging them. You're right that that's a failure of both Bernie Sanders and not just, you know, uh, not just specific to Russiagate or not specific to Bernie Sanders, but a failure of the left as well, that this sort of there is this impulse to. I think amongst the you know more academic leaning, the more sort of like debate leaning, op-ed leaning crowd, to feel unable to ignore you know what is obviously propaganda, what is obviously a psyop, which is which is geared towards getting attention and eyes on it, uh, because there's like there is just this obsessive need to elevate and debunk and discuss in a way that is not necessarily conducive to um, you know conducive to our goals, but also even a more deeply insidious sort of tendency is to just accept facts that liberals have put out there or deeps they have put out there because there is a need for, uh, there is just 
there's just some need for uh you know uh what's the word universal understanding or some agreed upon fact to be able to have the conversation as opposed to just you know saying the obvious truth but you know I, I don't trust the FBI I'd rather be wrong than trust the FBI you know because the FBI is right. untrustworthy Jeremy Corbyn's not because, anti-Semitic because that's viewed as like a conspiracy theory you know to, to, to deviate from the norm of being allowed to of like putting blind faith in MSNBC's narratives or whether they come from the deep state or whether they come from any number of like uh, just like private industries is to be conspiratorial by nature because it's to, to deviate from an agreed upon like series of facts that only agreed upon by liberals and centrists etc but you know it, there are real consequences for deviating from that you know in so insofar as that there there is the opportunity that you might you might not be taken seriously you might not be able to get your op-ed in new york times if you're too hard on you know if you're too hard on these conspiracy theories masquerading as truth or you'll lose your job or you'll yes. lose your job oh, aaron did right no, I didn't lose any job over Russiagate. I certainly had problems. <laughs> I had problems um, with uh, colleagues and bosses sometimes because there was so much pressure. I mean, the problem is this got, you know, being into Russiagate became synonymous with opposing Trump. And so, so it got spun into this thing where if you didn't go along with the Russiagate, you were somehow supporting Trump. When, as we talked about earlier, this whole thing was a massive gift to Trump, as has shown repeatedly. But, uh, you know, I I can't, you know, I didn't lose any jobs over it. I did lose colleagues and friends, and I did have some difficult editorial, you know, moments with. But, you know, certainly there was an incentive for people working in media to go along with it. I'm sure many people who had skepticism didn't voice it because if you did, it's just you'd be deemed uh, as one of the crazies. To this day, I, I don't mind being deemed one of the crazies because that's just, just part of my perso- my online persona. But to this day, I never actually met anyone in like real life who ever mentioned Russia at all. And that was one of the reasons, well, again, in the beginning, why it never struck me because I was like, this is not even really for me. Like, this, like, this narrative is not for, is not aimed at me specifically. It's not aimed at stroking my ego. It's, it's aimed at sort of like dispelling my rage. You know, it's aimed at stroking the egos of the, you know, of like the you know the was it the PMC class the vice president you know like the six k I'm sorry six figure a year you know liberal but like for me it's just it's just insulting you know it's telling me that like I don't understand what racism is it's actually just Putin that you know I that I can't you know I can't understand a problem with Hillary Clinton but like it, I was confused by a Jesus doesn't want you masturbating cartoon and I mean too I think the, the everyday average person you know these narratives are obviously insulting but to your liberal like they they eat that shit up they eat they they ate they ate it up i mean just one again one last point about the like democratic you know democratic uh, voter affiliated faith in the media was on a downward trend, just like you know, just independent and Republican faith in the media, obviously for Fox News. And the ratings but were Ru- too. Yeah, but RussiaGate really, you know, the, I think there's a Gallup or Pew poll that really shows that RussiaGate post 2016, when there was like the two paths of like Democrats, like either coming to terms with what happened actually, or like promoting conspiracy theories, they went with conspiracy theories and faith in the media, faith in that propaganda, it shot up. You know, whether or not this will again correct itself now that it's been quote-unquote dispelled is debatable but it definitely had the effect of like re-ingratiating liberals into like the power structure and, and like and I, I didn't lose any friends but liberals were annoying because they were very smug about it they felt very smart about it, very smart yeah they were so smug and so insufferable and i you know but that's what it required for club membership they had to be that way you had to go along with it because challenging it meant challenging the power of really influential people who you know run media and run politics and that just became 
the sort of liberal mating call and it's embarrassing for them and it really did damage to progressive politics i uh and it's sad now that we're now we ended up with i think with a, a really terrible democratic nominee i think because of it because the, that wing of the party was able to scam people into not talking about their own failures for over three years and to be you know drawn into this conspiracy theory culture it's it's embarrassing on so many levels and um the consequences i you know i don't know trump is so bad that maybe he he will lose even though biden's pretty terrible but if trump does win again uh i think russiagate was the biggest gift he could have got well why don't you tell everyone where they can find you keep up with your work and enjoy more of your uh dulcet tombird voice the timber or the timber? I, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not, a, not big on words, but please. I'm at, uh, the gray zone, the gray zone.com. I host a show there called pushback and, uh, I write sometimes for the nation magazine and, uh, yeah, uh, I really appreciate you guys having me on. So thank you. No, we appreciate you coming on, you know, and you can find Aaron's latest, uh, at real clear investigations. It's, uh, titled, uh, hidden over two years, Dem cyber firm sworn testimony. It had no proof of Russian hack of DNC. And we'll put the link in the information. Yes, we will. Thank you all for listening. Thank you again, Aaron, for joining. Got beef in the streets. So I invest in shows. Have man changing the bio. Hashtag a bedroom's world. Try to put gang on a vid. 24 hours later, she got slapped with a stick. Now I can't stand in the strip. Oh, now I don't know who my pagans are. God damn, man, don't want to buck me. My niggas keep up with fuckery. Sliding there with that brocky. Fryman like it's Kentucky. If I don't hit one, then they're lucky. If, if, if I don't hit one, then they're lucky. But I'm still gonna try my best. Blow my ting and take him out the game. I'm like the ref. In the field, I slide on them. But I ain't trying to kick man's leg. Tove it, Rambo, jet my chest. Send shots on the hit man's head. Mind your friends, don't intercept. But be on the knees, you really think I went up C4 scrum? Like corner, I could have laid in the uni room. But I know better. Us wanna see me get nicked with a shh. But I know better. Next day, shh, got, got back. Gang done got down to this leak, that shh. They should know better. Don't see me in the flesh and don't make man leap. Man do shit for the gram and tweet. Man rise that shh and skate. How many? Shh, 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 shh. Let's see. 